Good morning to those who are here. Thank you for being here. If you're hearing this or watching this later on, we also thank you for, for uh, checking out this video and the recording too. If you have any questions or you want to know more about us, I invite you to check out our website, fdcelp.org, and there you will find uh, pretty much all the information about our church, about me, where we're at, um, what we believe, and you know, just a bunch of other information. But just to give you, give you guys a little heads up, we are a Calvary Chapel Church. Um, Calvary Chapel Church plant located in Northeast El Paso, um, right on the corner of Pondo Pass and Gateway South. We don't have a formal offering here, so the Lord's put you put it in your heart to, to give. We do have a tie box back there, and for those of you online, uh, there is a PayPal link on our website, and also our address is on there too, in case again, it was putting in your heart to mail a check or whatnot. Um, and again, all those funds right now, they're because of COVID, they're going to pay for uh, the rent and bills here, and uh, in order to keep our doors open, the last thing we want to do is... Um, shut our doors again because we're just unable to meet those kind of payments. So, um, yeah, the Lord's putting the heart definitely. Um, welcome it, and it'll be a great blessing to us. And we hope that after today's message, that it will also be a blessing to those who are here and those who are watching locally and maybe around the world as well. Um, I don't have much else for announcements. Um, if you have any prayer requests, anything you want to let us know, anything you want us to know, uh, feel free to pull me aside afterwards, uh, pull my wife aside, and um, we'll definitely hear you out, and all of it will be confidential, and we'll just pray with you and talk to you. Um, so, let us know. All right, well, this morning, we've once again arrived at another crucial, important passage in this entire gospel. As a matter of fact, in the entire Bible. And we have decided that, well, it's so important that we decided just to dedicate the entire, today's entire message on it. So we'll be in Luke chapter 24, and I've titled today's message, He is not here. Someone once said, Christianity begins where all religions of the world end at death. And it starts with the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 19, the Apostle Paul wrote this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we have testified wrongly about God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. 
and you're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we put, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion, says Dr. Don Stott. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If we remove it, Christianity is destroyed. So again, after today's message, I hope that you'll see the importance, the significance of the resurrection of Christ, not just for, for Christianity as a whole, for the church, but for you personally as well. So let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord, it truly is humbling to be able to worship you now, Lord. Whereas times before, there's just so many restrictions that we had that were had to be made or were that were there, Lord. But now we can do so freely because of your son Jesus Christ. We have now we now have direct access to you. And it is beautiful. Lord, so now as we continue in our worship of you, we ask that you bless this message, Lord. And you will speak to the hearts and minds of those that are here, those that are watching, so that it may transform them, Lord. So implant that seed of your word deep within everyone's hearts, Lord. Remove all distractions. And now just let us rest at your feet. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 24. We are beginning the last chapter of this gospel. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with him were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. 
When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what had happened. In a cemetery in Hanover, Germany, there's a grave on which placed on which were placed huge slabs of granite and marble cemented, uh, marble cemented together and fastened with heavy steel clasps. It belonged to a woman who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yet strangely, she directed in her will that her grave be made so secure that if there were a resurrection, it could not reach her. On the marker were inscribed these words, this burial place must never be opened. In time, a seed covered over by the stones began to grow. Slowly it pushed its way through the soil and out from beneath them. As the trunk enlarged, the great slabs were gradually shifted so that the steel clasps were wrenched from their sockets. A tiny seed had become a tree and then pushed aside the stones. The dynamic life force contained in that little seed is just a faint reflection of the tremendous power of God's creative word that someday will call to life the bodies of all who are in their graves. He will also bring back every person drowned at sea, cremated, or destroyed in some other way. This is no problem to the one who made something out of nothing. When he spoke the universe into existence, unbelief cannot deter the resurrection. But faith in the risen Christ opens the door to blessings that his resurrection guarantees a glorious new spiritual body and a home in heaven. In new bodies, we will be reunited with saved loved ones to live with Jesus throughout all of eternity. Now, had Jesus not risen from the grave, we wouldn't have this guarantee. The fact is that he did. And here we're told what we need to know about it. In these first 12 verses that we just read from this chapter, Luke informs us about the events that took place on the third day after Jesus had breathed his final breath and was buried in Joseph's tomb. Up until this point, it's hard to imagine that the death of Jesus Christ had left his followers devastated with grief. They had lost their best friend, their leader, and their life's goals, hopes, and dreams. All meaning had disappeared from their life. Little, little did they know, however, that their lives, that their entire lives, and for that matter, all of humanities would never be the same again. This chapter begins by telling us that the same woman who we learned last week did the initial burial preparations 
return to complete the job that they had started. That they had started back on Friday before the Sabbath. So on the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices that they had prepared. Their first indication that something wasn't right occurred as they were getting there. It says in verse 2 that they found the stone that Matthew chapter 28 verse 60 says was placed against the tomb's entrance. Well, that had been rolled away. Now, I would think that they would have seen this either as a blessing since they didn't have to worry about how they were going to move the stone. Or they might have seen it as worrisome. Did someone go in without their knowledge and tamper with Jesus' body? Is everything okay in there? What are we going to find? Now, the actual event of Jesus' resurrection isn't described. But the discovery of it is recorded in some detail. Now, in addition to that stone being, that large stone being placed there against the tomb's entrance, Matthew 27, 65 and 66 also tells us that Pilate had placed guards around the tomb. Therefore, the stone couldn't have moved, couldn't have been rolled by the women because they wouldn't have had the strength to move the tomb. Nor could the disciples, for even if they were brave enough, they really wouldn't have been able to overcome the armed Roman guards. So other than them, there really wasn't anyone else who would have wanted to roll away that tremendous heavy stone. However, Matthew chapter 28 verse 2 does actually tell us who did. It was an angel of the, role, uh, of the Lord who rolled it away. Now keep this in mind too. A stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. You know what I mean? It wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could be allowed to walk out of that tomb. See, John chapter 20 verse 19 tells us that Jesus in his resurrection body was able to pass through material barriers. So they would walk through walls and doors and all that. So that, that really wasn't the reason why that stone was rolled. The stone was rolled away so that others could see in and be persuaded that Jesus Christ was and is risen from the dead. Was that important? And that transformed that if anyone just were to walk in, they would see that he wasn't in there, that he was not there, that he was alive. Well, upon arriving, things went from 
strange to alarming when they entered the tomb and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus anywhere inside. He wasn't there. He was gone. This shows that the resurrection accounts weren't a product of wishful thinking. You see, they were totally expecting to find the body of Jesus laying there. But there wasn't one around. Does that make sense again? That it wasn't that they were, as they were making their way to the tomb, where they wishing and wishing and wishing and hoping that he would be alive and that he would be there and to be able to talk to them. No, they were, it wasn't wishful thinking. They were expecting to find the body of Jesus laying there. Now this reminds me of this, tells us that people will often see, seek Jesus, but are unable to find him because they're looking in the wrong places. It could be in the bars, it could be in the clubs, it could be at the casinos, it could be at work. It could be on the internet. It could be with men, women. People are looking for Jesus in so many different places that he's not, where he's not there. So it's important that you understand that he won't be in places where the dead are. He will be in places where the sick are so that he can heal them. But you won't find the living among the dead. And this applies for us as well. If you truly are a born again believer and you have been giving, given new life, you have no place, no business being around the dead. Because pretty soon it won't take long before you start smelling like a dead person. Be where Jesus is at. Surround yourselves with other believers. Surround yourselves with, just, with, with those that will encourage you to, to get into God's word. To study, to learn, to, to worship him. So many places and, and things out there in the world where people will tell you that that's where you'll find freedom, that's where you'll find peace, that's where you'll find comfort, relief. But they're not. It's all fake, it's all a forgery, it's all... may make you happy for a moment, but it'll still leave you empty inside. Seek Jesus out. Seek Him out where He's at. The key to seeking Jesus and finding him is by making him your personal or making your personal relationship right with him. Without this, 
everything else is in vain. And once you've established that personal relationship with him, you can draw nearer to him by praying, by hearing his word, reading his word, studying his word, by recognizing when you've sinned and immediately repenting of it. And then deciding or making the effort to not make that same mistake, that same mistake over again. To not make, not fall under that, or not fall in that sin again. Remember those feelings you had afterwards. Don't ever forget what you almost lost. And how the Lord, after forgiving you, blessed you and restored you. So now these women, that were there, seeing the empty tomb were shocked at dismay and dismayed at the sight of that empty tomb. And a million questions began to enter their minds. Questions such as, what had happened? Who had done this? What could they do? How could they stand the loss of his body in addition to losing him in his death? So as they stood there puzzled, perplexed, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. John chapter 20 verse 12 says that these two men were two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One was at the head and the other at the feet. But what's amazing here, what's significant here is that just as the angels had announced the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, now they were announcing the resurrection of Jesus. And just like the announcement of his birth was made to a few people, some shepherds who, were, who weren't considered important in that culture, his resurrection was now being announced to a few women who the culture also considered unimportant. So let me ask you this question. Why do you think their robes were dazzling? Why do you think they were so bright and, and, and shiny? No, it wasn't because they have the best bleach and detergent in heaven. It's because when anyone has been around near the presence of God, they become soaked with the brightness of his glory. A good example of this was after Moses had received and inscribed God's words on tablets. It says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, 
as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. And in verse 30, the next verse, it says this, When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. Thus, the reaction those women had in verse 5 isn't really surprising. The women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Here's something important that you need to understand, you need to know and understand. Although none of us have yet seen God as a born-again believer, the glory of His Spirit is in you and is transforming you. Only if you are born again. Only if His Spirit truly lives in you. Speaking of believers, Jesus prayed this in John chapter 17, verse 22. I have given them the glory you have given me so that, so that they may be one as we are one. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it, it says this. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Well, on that day, when you finally see the full glory of Jesus Christ in His glorious kingdom, your new bodies will also shine with God's glory. We're told this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 40 through 44. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the splendor of heavenly bodies is different from that of earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star difference differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. body. The point to all this is that as dazzling as those two angels were, if you're a born-again believer, you can look forward to looking just as dazzling. Just as we've been born, just, have, just as we have been born the image of the man of the dust, we will also bear the image of the man in heaven, of the man of heaven. So, what was it that these angels, what was, it, what was the announcement from these angels? 
What verses 5 through 7 tell us? First, though, they, they kind of rebuke them by asking them a logical question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? It was as if they were surprised that the women were surprised. After all, the angels had heard what Jesus had said regarding the resurrection. And it seems that they knew the women had heard it also. So they naturally wondered why the women were surprised. But they didn't have to answer. Because them being there was the answer itself. They were seeking the dead among the dead. They weren't seeking the living. Again, the point they were making, those angels were making was this. The living are not, are not found among the dead. As Christians, we also need to understand that there's another aspect to that. We shouldn't expect spiritual life among those who don't have it. Many think they have it. Many think they have a spiritual life. Because they follow the life and teachings of dead teachers, dead prophets, dead good men, false gods. But in reality, all those idols, all those religions are just cheap imitations, fakes, forgeries, knockoffs. Of the real thing. Others look for Jesus in dead things. Religious traditionalism, formalism, man's rules, human effort and ingenuity. We however, we however, as believers, find Jesus only where the res only where there's resurrection life. Where he is worshipped in spirit and in truth. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The angels then made the announcement mankind has been waiting for since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. He is not here, but he has risen. That black cloud which hung over the earth since Adam fell was cleared away on the bright Easter morning when the second Adam rose. That heavy debt which we owed to the Heavenly Father and which we would, could have never have been have paid back was paid in full when Jesus rose from the grave. 
the angel's first proclamation that he was not here were some of the most beautiful words, most beautiful and important words ever spoken by an angel to man. You see, even if someone tried to look inside every single tomb in Jerusalem during that time, they'd never find the tomb of Jesus. Why? Because he wasn't there. Or he wasn't here. Or he isn't here. One commentator wrote, The empty grave is one incontestable proof which has confounded every futile effort to cast doubt on the resurrection and is an impregnable rock of truth upon which every attack of skepticism has invariably, invariably been shattered. The second proclamation that he is risen proved that he wasn't stolen away as the chief priest hired the soldiers to say he was in Matthew chapter 8, verse 13. Nor was he removed to another place as Mary Magdalene first thought when she found him gone in John chapter 20, verse 2. These angels, these messengers of God affirmed that indeed Jesus had risen from the dead by the power of his father and by his own power, as he mentioned, he would. Therefore, the angel's message is simple. Jesus, the Nazarene, is no longer there, for he is no longer dead. He is risen. The place where his body had laid was empty, for he was gone. He was, in, he was indeed risen bodily. The simplicity of this message and its significance takes the breath away. It's so, it should be so impactful and, and beautiful and overwhelming to you too, knowing that Jesus, Jesus' actual body rose from the grave after it had been dead. And now he had a new glorified body. Death had been conquered. He who had been crucified had triumphed. Everything must now be rethought. Everything must begin anew. So why is Jesus' resurrection so, so significant to our Christian faith? Well, one reason is a certainty we have that we're not just following the teachings of another dead prophet or teacher. Here's what Hank Hanegraaff said about this. If Christ is truly God, his claim to be the only way has to be taken seriously. If, on the other hand, he is merely one person in a pantheon of pretenders, 
His proclamation can easily be pushed aside. That is precisely why the resurrection is axiomatic to, the, to Christianity. Through the resurrection, Christ demonstrated that he does not stand in a line of peers with Buddha, Krishna, or any of those other prophets or teachers or any founder of, of, a, of a world religion. They died and are still dead. But Christ is risen. Ultimately, resurrection and reincarnation are mutually exclusive because the former is a historical fact, while the latter is a Hindu fantasy. Now, another reason is that as soon as Jesus rose from the dead, sin no longer was a ruling influence and had lost his dominion over our mortal bodies. This means that we've now been freed from being prisoners of Satan's will. Paul writes in Romans 6.22, but now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. Third reason the resurrection is significant is that we now have become more than conquerors through him who fought out that bitter battle on Good Friday and rose victoriously on Easter morning. Paul tells us in Romans 4.25, He was delivered up for your trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, in other words, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and the receipt was the resurrection. The angels then ended their announcement by reminding them of what Jesus had told them when he was still in Galilee. And it was a combined quote of Luke chapter 9, verse 22, and chapter 18, verse 33. And as soon as they were reminded that, that he would be betrayed, crucified, and his assertion that he would rise on the third day, that's when they remembered his words. Oh, yeah, that's what he said. I remember now. I'm sure it wasn't like that. That would be my reaction. I forget a lot of things. But now they remembered. Now they remembered what they said, what Jesus said. But also now they were better prepared to understand and believe all the radical things Jesus had said. Now that his words, Jesus' words, had new meaning and depth. Now they can believe everything that he says, that he said. And so can you. Every single, if you have a red letter Bible, everything that is in red that Jesus said, you can believe and trust and take to the bank. 
every prophecy will be fulfilled. Everything he says is true and will come to pass. So not only did they come to believe that Jesus had now risen from the dead, but something else resurrected inside of them. Hope. It wasn't the empty tomb or the angels that gave them that hope. It was the words that they remembered that Jesus had spoken. That he would rise on the third day. Christian brothers and sisters, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A hope which Peter makes deliberately distinct from the lot of other hopes we've known. Now, fact of the matter is that we all hope all the time. But many times we're often disappointed. I hope I get an A on the test. I hope they hire me. I hope she says yes. I hope we could get a new car. I hope he remembers our anniversary. Our hopes don't always come true. But this isn't the kind of hope we have in God. Our hope in God is unlike any we've ever had. And that's because there's a moment in history that sets this hope apart from any other. We're told in 1 Peter 1.3, Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the tomb couldn't hold the living, breathing, scarred, but victorious body of Jesus. The man who claimed to be God, who committed no sin and died before hostile crowds, appeared again just days later before crowds bearing the wounds of the cross, but demonstrating a power and victory over it. So he isn't dead, ladies and gentlemen. He is alive. The beauty of this is that in that same verse, Peter connects this life, the God's man life after death, witnessed by hundreds, celebrated at Easter with your hope. Believer, if Jesus lives, you will live. God established and secured your hope when you raised his son. Therefore, my friends, your hope is as alive as Jesus. Now, in the last paragraph of our passage, it says that, women, that the women returned from the tomb and reported everything that had happened to the eleven and to all the rest. Luke then tells us the, who these women were by name. Yet, even though the apostles knew these women well, had ministered with them, had traveled with them, 
They knew their integrity. They knew what kind of women they were. They didn't believe them. They didn't believe those women. The disciples, like the women initially, had ignored Jesus' passion predictions. They had no expectation of resurrection and were skeptical since they didn't, since they hadn't seen or heard the men or the angels that were in the tomb for themselves. Resurrection and renewed fellowship with Jesus wasn't on their minds. The only reason they were together, their only purpose for being together was to grieve and mourn. It wasn't to find Jesus. Nevertheless, this op apostolic skepticism actually became more evidence for the truth of the resurrection. How so? Well, the apostles wouldn't have invented the resurrection story during a time where they had lost hope and sunk into despair at the arrest and death of Jesus. Well, it took a while. But upon hearing the testimony of the witnesses of, of those women, denying Peter, Peter who was a denier, became a more impulsive and inquisitive Peter. Their story pricked his conscience and challenged him to take a look for himself. So he got up and sprinted to the tomb. I gotta go check this out. I gotta go see it for myself. I don't believe them. I, I have to see with my own eyes. I gotta see what they saw. And when he arrived and stooped down to look in, there weren't any angels there to greet him. He only saw the living clots that were used to wrap Jesus' body. Now think about that too. Those linen cloths that were there prove that Jesus' body wasn't stolen because thieves wouldn't just remove the wrappings and then just steal the body. If they were in a hurry, a good thief would just take everything and just take off with the body. They wouldn't take the time to unwrap those linen cloths from Jesus. They'd take off in a hurry. Only a person needing to walk away would remove the clods. Only a person rising up from the dead and needing to step out or walk out of that tomb would take the time to unwrap himself from those linen clods. So he, Peter, went away amazed at what had happened. What did this all mean? Is it possible that these women's story 
may be true, well, it wouldn't be long before he himself would find out. So church family, the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters supremely to the Christian because of the hope and faith that it produces. For example, because Jesus had risen from the dead, we now have a living hope and a faith that isn't, that hasn't been, never will be disproven. We have a hope and faith in a savior that is far superior than the other gods, prophets, and philosophies of this world. And we have a faith, and we have faith and hope in the promise that as believers, God will raise us up in the same way Jesus was when we take our final breath in these bodies. So as I begin to close, let me share with you three reasons why this ought to matter to you. It ought to matter to you because Jesus was able to do what you and I were incapable of doing. He fulfilled the entire law of God, and thus he was sinless and perfect. You and I, on the other hand, are not and could never be. And we deserve the full punishment of our sins. Yet Jesus chose to receive that full punishment for every single one of our sins. Every single one of your sins, of the people that are here and those who are watching. Every single one of your sins. He took on the punishment when he offered himself on the cross. The debts... For our sins were paid off by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a result, God now sees us as innocent and pure. His righteousness became our righteousness. He took on the ugly and we took on the beauty. The resurrection was the completion of that process. The second reason the resurrection ought to matter to you is that it gives you a greater purpose for living. As a Christian, the knowledge that every choice and decision has eternal consequences, consequences should inspire you to live in obedience to God. See, the more you live in obedience the more God will be able to use you as an instrument of his will and purpose. Life becomes less about you and more about pleasing and glorifying God. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And the third reason his resurrection ought to matter to you is that you no longer have to fear death. When Jesus walked out of the, that tomb over 2,000 years ago, all uncertainties of death were removed. 
On that Easter Sunday, Jesus took from Satan the keys of death. And nothing, nothing at all will be able to take them from him ever again. Jesus now has those keys. No one, nothing at all will be able to take those keys from him. People fear death because they're uncertain what comes after. But those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ don't have to be scared, don't have to fear. They can be in peace. They can be calm about it. Why? Well, Jesus said this. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 24. I assure you, he says, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment but has passed from death to life. You are no longer a slave to Satan. You are no longer a slave to sin. No longer will you die for all of eternity. Now you are a child of God. You are a slave to God. And yes, this, these mortal bodies will perish, will die. But we, our soul, will live with the, Lord, with the Lord for all of eternity. Forever and ever. In an unexpressible, glorious kingdom. Not made by human hands, but by the hands of God. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. He then asked her a question I want to ask you. Do you believe this? If you do, then recognize your need for God. Recognize that you're a sinner and ask him to forgive you of your sin and accept his free gift of forgiveness. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Surrender your life to him. Today, as soon as I'm done here, you'll have an opportunity to do that be born again and go from death to life. Don't let another day go by without being absolutely sure, without being 100% certain that when you die, he will raise you from the dead to be with him for all of eternity. So for those of you watching and listening, if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ into your heart and make him your personal Lord and Savior, if 
you're ready to surrender your life to Him, then I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. So wherever you're at, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that. And I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe with all my heart that you died for my sins. And that you rose from the grave. So now repent. I repent and turn away from my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. And now I ask that you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born again life. In your name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, that'll be the conclusion of today's message. Thank you for watching and listening. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye and farewell.